Hello and welcome to the EDH RecCast. My name is Joey Schultz and I'm joined as always by my fantastic co-hosts. First up, he challenges you to a duel. It's Matt Morgan. I'm, I'm really disappointed this week. I was passed over for a job. I was trying to get a job working at an ice cream store because I told them I only want to work on Sundays. Oh, man. You know what, Matt? That, uh, that right there, that story, that's, that's a real scoop. Uh, it's a rocky road to finding employment out there. Man, it's nuts. <laughs> I, I would I would have more puns for you, but I butter pecan somebody my own size. <laughs> I don't even know what that one means. Anyway, up next, he challenges you to a dual land. That's Dana Roach. Um, now that this crazy GameStop stock spike thing has passed us, I don't have to worry about what I missed out on there. I can go back to worrying about all the reserve list spiking cards I've missed out on. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, definitely nice. Definitely nice, Dana. Real nice indeed. <laughs> anyway, this is the EDH RecCast. EDH Rec is the best deck building resource on the web for the commander format, compiling data from deck lists all over the internet to provide helpful recommendations for new commander decks. And here on the podcast, what we'd like to do is give all that data a little more context. Hey, Matt, what is it that we're talking about on this episode? This week, we're going to talk about dual lands like Arena, where you have to fight each other in it. Um, not that type of duel, I think. We want to talk about some oh. lands that tap for, for for two different colors, you know, help you color fix. That kind of, that kind of, it's, it's, Matt, what it is, is it's time to duel land. That's what it is. I, I know that my research for this episode is just going to go out the window. So, um, good luck to both of you for carrying this episode. <laughs> so that's just it. Like, dual lands, color fixing, stuff in EDH, that's such an important thing. But Especially with the new snow duels at Common that have been introduced in Kaldheim, there are so many different dual land options right now. So we figured that what we might need to do is just sit down and kind of evaluate them to see what are the best of the best. So that's going to be our episode. Should be really, really fun. But before we get to that, we want to pause and give a huge thank you to the folks at the Command Zone podcast who handle all the post-production work on our podcast here, making it look as spiffy as it does. And we want to thank our sponsors for the show too. Uh, yeah, EDH Trekcast is sponsored by Card Kingdom and TCG Player. Lately, we've seen some uh, real crazy price creep on a whole lot of singles, and you can take advantage of that by buy listing cards you aren't playing to Card Kingdom for these bumped up prices. I just mailed out four orders this week myself. Um, they also have a huge selection of singles, as does our other sponsor, TCG Player, uh, a great site with an endless uh, array of cards you can pick up. And they will also let you set up a storefront if you want to sell your own cards through TCG Player. Just go to EDH Rec, click on the card in question, and choose the vendor link down below. Doing so supports both the site and the show. And if you would like to support the podcast directly, you can do so over at patreon.com slash EDH RecCast. We have all sorts of tiers, whether you want to join the Discord that we have all for all of our patrons, you can do that and get in on all the dad jokes, uh, maybe talk about some 60 card formats, or you just want to have people check out your decks. You can do that in our Discord, or you can get some swag every night now and then we are getting ready to send out our first round here coming up very soon. So if you want to get in on all that kind of fun stuff and support the show, go to patreon.com slash EDH Not only that, but we also have a tier to thank one of our Patreon subscribers. So Matt, who are we shouting out this episode? So this week we are going to give a big shout out to Brian Camacho. Thank you so much for your support. We definitely appreciate it. And uh, thank you for just 
teaming up with us partner with over at patreon <laughs> as it were awesome thank you so much brian all right fellas let's get to our topic now it is time to dual lands there are so many dual lands and we're going to go through them by a rough order of popularity and just give them a quick evaluation and we're going to have to be quick about it to be honest because there are a lot of dual lands dana let's get started waste no time what would you say is roughly the most popular dual land type in commander um you know shock lands would be number one here, the most popular land type. They've been reprinted in three different sets in standard over the years. They are fetchable. Um, if you have a fetch land to go get them, they have basic land types for fetching and for other things that care about that. And they can come into play untapped if you choose to spend a couple life. Um, so that's kind of the, the default in terms of dual lands, um, that I, I see the most play and that what I think of when I think of of affordable dual lands, I should say. Uh, affordable, you know, they still kind of sure. go up and down in price. But yeah, I, I think it's been a really long time since I played an EDH game where Shocklands didn't, you know, show up on the table for sure. Yeah, they, they are kind of considered at this point the gold standard, as it were, uh, just for being able to enter the battlefield untapped at the cost of only two life. Being fetchable is a big deal. Like you said, um, if you're playing cards like Farseek, you're able to pick up, you know, a, a godless shrine as, as you need it. Um, so just having that basic land type is one of those big, big factors that draws a lot of people towards wanting to play shock lands in pretty much any deck that can afford to play them. Yeah. And the ability to circumvent the tempo loss, like they don't have mm -hmm. to enter tapped, man, that can be really big because it does feel like the format is getting a lot more efficient as mana curves are lowering down and stuff like that. So being able to actually not take a turn off if you need that extra mana, really, really huge. We all know shock lands. We all love shock lands. Shock lands show up. And I think in all of the decks that we have that can play it am i right there guys yeah so something's yes. got to be the best and and these just happen to be it and uh, they are in pretty much all of my two plus color decks and i think yeah. we, we all tended to play standard at various times when these were in standard so i would guess we all just have shock lands available and we build a deck we just pull a shotgun out of inventory and put it into the deck yeah. So then we move on, though, to our next one, which is check lands. Those are the dual lands that require you to have a certain type of land for them to come into play tapped. Uh, excuse me, for them to come into play untapped. They will enter tapped if you don't have, for example, in the case of Dragon Skull Summit, you would need a mountain or a swamp on the field, and then it would be able to enter untapped. And Dragon Skull Summit is actually the uh, most popular of the different check lands. Are these lands that you guys are as fond of, or do you kind of not like them as much as some other types? Well, as somebody that encourages basics as often as possible, I love check lands. They're kind of the first lands that I go to, and I also try to keep a, a decent supply of these on hand. They're also fairly cheap, especially compared to the shock lands, for example. Uh, most of them are kind of around in that $5 range, which is kind of the sweet spot for being more affordable, I should say. Uh, but they're just so good because all they require is just some something to have a basic land type so they could come in untapped if you have a shock land on the battlefield, for example, or just obviously a basic. Well, that, that's a really good point with the shock land thing um, because I, I have I kind of turned on these a little bit a few years back. Number one, I don't run as many basics as I should. I've got a ton of utility lands in my deck. So <laughs> I had true. hit a point kind of where they weren't coming into play untapped as consistently as I would have liked. But then in the last couple of years, we've gotten other dual land cycles that do have the basic land typing, as well as like the triomes that, that do and things mm -hmm. like, 
like Mystic Sanctuary, the cycle of of one color lands um, that was an Eldraine that also had basic land typing. So now I've I've kind of come the other direction on them because just accidentally I've put more of the basic land typings into my decks that make these a little bit better. So um, if I'm playing a two-color deck, they're in a two-color deck, and for the most part, I'm playing them in three colors as well. I mean, that, that's a really good point that you said, like, the, the more basic land types that we get on our dual lands, these kind of get better and better. Like, the, a lot of other land cycles, they're, they're just what they are. Like, shock lands will... They're never yeah. going to get really actively better than they already are. These do because the more dual lands or triumphs that we get that have basic land types just helps out this land cycle. Very, very much. Dana, I've had the exact same experience, although I love that in lieu of playing basics in your deck, you're playing cards that have basic land types instead right. because <laughs> you're just allergic to playing basics or something. But yeah, these are lands <laughs> that are very dependent upon the rest of your mana base, so you definitely have to watch out for them. And I also have the same experience. I think that I actually am only running them in two color decks right now, but I will have to double check on that. But I definitely am not running them in any four color decks. And in three colors, I'm a little hazy on it because I also sometimes have that bad habit of not playing as many actual basics as I should. And that can bite me in the butt with these particular types of lands. Um, the speaking of all of those different types of lands that have land types on them, Matt, what's uh, what's up next? So the next ones are the Battle for Zendikar lands, and I don't know if they ever got a, a catchy name other than the BFZ lands, um, but these are going to be stuff like Cinderglade and Canopy Vista, where uh, the land is going to enter the battlefield tapped unless you control two or more basic lands. Now, Unlike the check lands that need basic land types, these actually do need basics. But I actually, I really like this cycle because A, I, I play a lot of basics, but B, I think the cycle, as far as like bang for your buck, probably the most like cost efficient dual land because most of them are like a dollarish because they've been printed in pre-cons several times. Yeah, being cheap to purchase and being fetchable does a whole lot for the fact that these are going to come into play tapped for me more often than I would like. But those two factors really offset it. They're, they're cheap. They're easy to find. Um, I, I put them in most of my decks here as well. Yeah, I, I forgot that they have they have basically in types as well, which is... yeah. The same, the same boon that we talked about with the sh with the shock lands applies to the, to these lands as well. Yeah, these I will say I definitely am not running any of these in my three color decks. Matt, are you playing them in any of yours? I'm actually playing them in my Alila deck. I'm playing all of them that I can in there, and in my Ukima and Kazir deck. But I only have I can really only play Sunken Hollow there. True. But I like I said I play a lot of basics, and so these reliably are almost always going to come in untapped past turn. I would say five or six. That's just the way I typically construct my mana bases. If you're if you're somebody like Dana who just really doesn't want to get blown up by back to basics, apparently. Um, then these probably aren't as good. But if you're playing a lot of ways to ramp with basic lands, these do get better. And, and like I said, just the cost effectiveness of these for being a duel that can fairly reliably come in untapped. I I love this cycle. Yeah, I, I don't run them in, in my one three color deck I have because there's just too many copies of the other dual lands that kind of crowd them out. And I definitely am, am bad about running basics in a three color deck, even worse than how bad I am in a two color deck. So um, <laughs> I don't run them there, but I, I agree. They are, they are really, really solid and a fantastic value for sure. Yeah. I, I definitely want more of these actually, because as far as I know, there's only the yeah. ally cycle yet and they haven't done the enemy mm -hmm. cycle. And I've got a lot of Golgari decks that would love to be playing lands like these. Mm -hmm. So wizards finish that cycle soon. Um, up next, we've got pain lands. They enter untapped. They can tap for a colorless, or if you let them deal a damage to you, they can tap for one of the two colors that you might need, like a dark, our wastes, for example, or the most popular one that we're seeing is Yavim 
Maya Coast, which can tap for a blue or a green, but it will deal the damage to you. Painlands, I really, really like because there is guaranteed no way that they're going to affect your tempo. And if you need the color, then maybe you need the color. And if you don't need the color, it's not going to deal any damage. I'm a really big fan of Painlands. I think that I'm running these in a, not just in my two color decks, but also in my three color decks as well. Yeah, I, I'm totally with you there, Joey. Um, two color decks, three color decks. These are probably my favorite cycle, maybe even after the Shocklands. Um, the, the fact that the, the reality is like after turn five or so, you don't generally take that much damage for them anyway. I mean, on occasion you'll need the, the pip, but like there's plenty of times that at that point you can kind of work around taking damage from them. Um, and the fact that they tap for a colorless is pretty useful in some situations if you're playing a deck that like cares about colorless mana, if you're using Eldrazi Displacer or something. So like that can be relevant as well. Um, I just, I think they're a really good land. They've crept up in price a little bit. There's a few of them that are closing in on 10 or even a little bit more than that now. So they're not the, the value they once were, but I'm a huge fan of these lands and I put them in, in almost everything. Yeah. The, the enemy color pairings got, uh, I believe it was some corset reprints. So there's quite a few of the, mm-hmm. the enemy color pain lands floating around. So they're, I think they're typically going to be a little cheaper, but I think that the, the pain land cycle is probably one of the more underrated land cycles because like you point out, Dana, like no matter what, they're going to come in untapped and they might deal you yeah. one to a few damage in those early turns. But later in the game, the fact they cut, they tap for colorless mana is a huge boon that I think a lot of people kind of forget about almost. And especially like you mentioned underratedness, like the most popular Shockland is showing up in 53% of decks that can play it. The most popular Painland, Yavamaya Coast, is showing up in 26% of decks that can play it. So there is definitely quite a disparity um, that you're highlighting there. And also, Matt, to go back to the fact that Dana said he really loves the Shocklands and he really likes the Painlands, does it surprise you at all that Dana? his favorite lands are the ones that hurt him for benefit <laughs> if you if you won at one life you still won that's that's dana's yes. motto you bet this is the guy who genuinely has decided that losing 24 life was worth <laughs> drawing a card so like he just he loves dealing damage to himself for benefit i still right. i still think that none of these lands no matter what will equal the life that dana has lost to his ancient tombs over the course of any game that we've played over at <laughs> twitch.tv slash edhrecast very like dana's starting life total is 12 it's <laughs> it's secret he'll just do all that to himself it's really really great um up next we've got bounce lands these are fantastic enter the battlefield tapped but they tap for both of their colors and you do have to return a land to your hand uh, when they enter but these are just so great landfall decks love these simic growth chamber for example in a tatiova deck is just absolutely out of this world bounce lands are a total foundational piece of dual landness for me and i specifically love them because you know I can use them to get extra cards in my hand and maybe I'll have too many cards in my hand and I have to discard my runescard demon into the graveyard. Oh no, I wonder what I might do with that. Will I reanimate it later? Who knows? Stop giving the listeners ideas. <laughs> no, I love bounce lands because there's those cool tricks that you can do, but they're also great for landfall decks. They're just great to secure your manor. These are really, really solid ones. Really, really solid. See, I'm actually a little lukewarm on these compared to some of the other ones, but I also don't play nearly as many utility lands as, as you guys do. Uh, so if you're playing stuff like Bajuka Bog, these are fantastic because they can reset hey. it. I, I said I said it. I can't take it back. But, but I don't play a whole lot of those types of effects outside of a few. So I'm lukewarm be- and because these are terrible on turn two. If you're trying to develop your battlefield, I mean, you have to bounce something back. 
chances are you might have to discard a card. So like there are some situations like that where early game, they're not great, but the fact that they tap for two mana on their own, that is pretty powerful. Yeah, I I don't think I run any of these anymore in my decks. Um, I, I like them. They're fine. Uh, but I think this the, this is the first land cycle we're talking about here that's kind of fallen victim to the fact that we've just got a gazillion decent dual land cycles mm-hmm. now. And that this is one of the ones that have just worked its way out of my rotation. I'm just not playing them anymore. Yeah, there, there's definitely synergies here. But yeah. I, I'm with I'm with Dana. Like at this point, like we're kind of creeping into the, the, the territory where like yep. it gets kind of competitive for those dual land slots. Um, in a lot of mana bases. I, I I totally know that it's competitive. I get that. But man, I like dual land so much that in my two color decks, I'm even playing guildless commons because that, that and that's the colorless bounce land from Commander Legends. And I just I really like the security of a two land opening hand that has a bounce land in it feels way better than a two land opening hand that doesn't have a bounce land in it. Like it just makes me feel so much better and secure in my mana. Well, there's definitely like dual land cycles we'll get to where I just can't conceive of a situation where I would ever run them. That isn't the case here. I'm not playing them for various reasons, but like, I don't think at all someone is mistaken by doing so. They're still a really good land cycle. Yeah. All right. Up next, we've got the temples. Enter the battlefield always tapped, but you also get to scry one. Most popular one that we're seeing is the Temple of Mystery. Very elusive. Very interesting. Least popular one is Temple of Malice. I guess people don't like the angry lands all that much. Dana, is that your favorite land because it's malice and you like that your lands are mad at you? <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> just yeah, a theory, definitely. just a theory. Do you guys like the scry lands, these temples? Uh, when they first came out, I jammed them in every single deck I had and, and they stayed there for several years. But like as new cycles have came out, gradually they became an obvious target when I wanted to put in something new. Um, some cycles we'll discuss here in the next few minutes they just became the ones that became the obvious cut because they always come into play tapped. The scry effect is good. This is the same as the bounce lands. I think they're quite good. They've just gotten bumped out by things that I like a little bit more. Well, and, and we've gotten to the point where we're going to talk about lands that don't always enter the battlefield untapped, or at least you don't right. have the option with the, the bounce lands, obviously. But as far as lands that no matter what are going to enter the battlefield tapped, the, the temples are my favorite, actually. Um, I think the, the the ability to scry one um, and just kind of set up your draws, make sure you're you're getting things in the next coming turn that you might need or just getting stuff out of the way that you don't need. Um, I think that's a very, very powerful effect. And of, of all the lands that enter the battlefield tapped, no matter what. Um, these are definitely my favorite, and I still play them in, in a lot of decks. I, I like what you said there. Of the lands that definitely enter tapped, these are my favorite mm-hmm. too. But I also, I'm kind of, I've, I've waned off them in my three-color or four-color decks. I just don't have room for them at all anymore. And even in my two-color decks, I sometimes give them the side-eye because I'm like, that tempo loss costs me sometimes. See, I, I think if you're getting it on turn two or say it's a late-game play, uh, I, I really like these, you know, if this is my 10th land, chances are I don't need, I'm not hitting 10 mana to, to cast something specifically. So I don't mind them as a late game play either to make sure I'm not hitting more lands or anything like that. Like I just, yeah, I, I think scry is kind of an underrated ability in general, especially when it's incidental, like something on a land. I think that's a very powerful effect that, that a lot of players maybe take for granted. Yeah. Well, and they're also, I mean, like they are still showing up in plenty of decks and especially oh, yeah. like as we're getting farther down this list, like budget consciousness definitely becomes a factor to be aware of. So mm-hmm. if it sounds like we're kind of like, ooh, poo-pooing on like a temple or something like that, that is like for the purposes of conversation about, you know, getting a more tuned mana base. But, you know, 
definitely play with your budget. In fact, that's nowhere clearer than with one of the next types that we've got here. The tapped life gainers from Cons of Tarkir block. They enter the battlefield and you gain a life. Those are really solid on a budget. If you're tuning up, you're probably going to leave them. But we did have to mention them here because they are very, very popular, showing mm -hmm. up in upwards of 17% of decks that can play them. But, you know, just a thing to be aware of. But if you're on a budget, play within your budget. Definitely a caveat that we want to make sure we inject into the conversation. Oh, ab yeah, absolutely. I think if there is a place that if you if kind of players getting into the format are, are starting to kind of invest some money in mana bases are never a bad place to do it because no matter what like you're going to play lands in every single deck and you can transition that more often than not from deck to deck so just a kind of a mtg finance tip or whatever you want to call it i mean investing in real estate when it comes to magic isn't a bad place and even then like there are some very very good budget lands out there too it's free real estate <laughs> that's that, that's what i heard that's, that's what i heard <laughs> uh, and also, um, kind of moving away from that now, if we are talking again about um, tuning stuff up, these are a little bit farther down the list because there's kind of a scattered popularity since the cycle was just finished this year. But um, Dana, how do you feel about the Bond lands that started in Battle Bond and ended in Commander Legends? Um, those, uh, those beautiful lands. So like if I'm building a deck, these are probably the ones I slot in after Shocks and Pain Lands. Go straight to the bond lands. They always come into play untapped unless you're at the point in the game where it's you and one other person. And like very rarely at that point in the game doesn't matter. Yes, usually so far along, so many turns deep that, you know, one mana probably isn't going to matter anyway. Um, so I, I think these are just amazing. They, they always come into play untapped. They do what you want consistently every single time. And the price is relatively fair on them. So. I love on the, on the Commander Legends ones, the price yes, is fair. Yes, on the Battlebond yes. lands, those are those are creeping those up. Have, like shock those have crept up. Yeah, yeah. And that that would be a big thing too. If you're if you're looking to grab some some lands right now before they get expensive, uh, the the time is running out on your chance to to get these Commander Legends, uh, the Bond lands in there because they're like Dana said, they're very very good. Like being able to enter the battlefield tapped as long as you have two or more opponents. That's a very, very powerful effect in a four-player format. So mm -hmm. uh, grab these while you can before they, they do get expensive because the, the ally color lands in this cycle, they are expensive. Well, and I believe way back when the original cycle first came out, we spent a lot of time telling people to get that cycle because they were going to want them when they'd be expensive. So um, we, we loved them then, and I think we still love them now. Wizards, put these in pre-cons, please. Yes, They're be. so good. These I do play in my two-color decks. I play them in my three-color decks. I'm pretty sure I even play them in my four-color decks. And if I had a five-color deck, I might consider some of them in there too. If I had extras, I don't really have extras because they are climbing up in price in some cases. Like these are a really, really solid wizards. If you can make them more affordable, oh, we'll love that. And something that I, I think these the numbers would definitely be higher on these two. Um, if A, they were around as long as some of these other cycles, but B, like if they were just easy to find, because sometimes they are a little hard to find for like your local game store. Yeah. Um, the something that I definitely don't want to see much in precons anymore are the guild gates. Another one that I feel like we're kind of obligated to mention. Yes, they're budget friendly, but they always enter tapped. I don't like these i don't i don't know i i almost think that like you you will want a regular basic land up for guildgate sometimes unless you're specifically building a gates deck i'm just not a fan of guildgates anymore at all um i think their home at this point is in a very budget list i had to build a 50 dollar deck fairly recently for for a thing i participated in um i put guildgates in there because at that point there's just so few dual land options you can fit in that kind of a budget deck they're absolutely good enough for that kind of environment. But once you get much beyond that, 
There's just so many relatively inexpensive duels that are better. And then once you have a few of those in a deck, then I agree. You're just better off running running basic lands, particularly in a two-color deck. Yeah. I mean, I, I do agree with the point that basic lands might be a little better. If you're if you're in a three-color deck or a four-color deck and you just need any sort of mana fixing, these are fine. And, and I have run guild gates in recent decks um, kind of as placeholders. Like, I just need... I need my 37th land, so I'm going to throw a guild gate in there just to help my color fixing. And the next time I have, you know, a couple bucks, I'll replace it with something else. Like, these are fine. I don't, I'm never going to fault anybody for playing them. They're a good placeholder in, in my decks, but there are better options, I think, unless you're just on a very strict budget. And if that's the case, then definitely play to your budget. Don't feel obligated to, to stretch for something that, you know, you probably shouldn't be going for. Do you mean like the next ones on our list of popularity? Like the Definitely OG, those. the OG dual lands, the tropical islands, the bayous, the plateaus. Those finally show up on the list here. They've got the basic types. They always enter untapped. These cards are ungodly expensive. Gotta shout them out here. But like, oh man, it, I mean, yeah, if you have them, run them. We kind of just, it's a perfunctory thing that we have to mention. But like yeah. they are pretty far down the list because they are so, you know, cost prohibitive in so many ways they've almost gotten so cost prohibitive that it's tough to run them because they're so expensive and i feel kind of like i don't yeah. know if i want this much money sitting here in a piece of cardboard when i could just run a guild gate or run whatever and sell this and you know make Pay a couple car, car payments yeah exactly yeah yeah no totally feel the same way and actually the next one on our list we're finally getting to the fetch lands as well a bit more um cost effective than the OG duels, but only kinda, to be honest, you know, they sacrifice, pay a life and you go find another thing and you can find like, in the case of Polluter Delta, an island or a swamp. And so you can get your dual lands, your other types of dual lands there. These things are also amazing staples, although notably for being staples in Commander, the most popular one, Polluter Delta, only shows up in about 15% of decks that can play it. I actually thought that it would be like a red green one or something because of the landfall applicability that these can have. But I guess it turns out not to be the case. Yeah, fetches are great because of their interactions with those other dual lands. Yeah, I, I think these two cycles, the OG duels and the fetch lands, I, I talked about the, the battle for Zendikar lands as being the best bang for your buck. This is the opposite. Like the, the amount of money that you invest into the original dual lands from Alpha and then any any fetches, really, the the whether you're talking about the onslaught cycle, which is the ally color, or the, the original Zendikar cycle, which is the enemy color fetch lands, uh, I think you can get so much more power into your deck by skipping the scalding tarn and buying literally any other, you know, 15 cards for the deck. Indeed. Yeah, I, I played a lot during cons, so I have multiple copies of most of these. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't be adding them to decks, or at least I wouldn't rush to do so. I might do it, you know, hey, I've had this deck for three years, I love it, I'm going to upgrade to a dual land. But for how much value they provide, Outside a landfall deck or something, like in your average deck that doesn't care about landfall triggers or something, uh, for me, they wouldn't be worth chasing down given what the price is. Yeah. yeah they just, like, it's almost like kind of a luxury item at this point. Like, yeah. They're nice, but you don't need them to build a functioning mana base. And, like, it's only one land that's going to occupy $40 plus of your, your budget towards the deck. And if you're playing on a budget, definitely skip these and get literally a whole mana base right yeah 
Absolutely, yeah. Um, what do we think about the Shadowmore filter lands? So an example here being Graven Cairns, which um, can tap for a colorless mana, but also you can pay a red or a black mana to produce red, 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 black, or black, black. So you have to pay the corresponding color, but then you can really mix and match the types from within that color. Well, Dana, where do you think you're at with those? Like, do you play these in two colors? Seems like a good deal, but in three colors, does that seem like a good deal? Do you like these lands at all? What are you thinking? I do play them in two colors. Um, and I like them. The the ability to tap them for colorless again, like a with a pain land, is fairly useful sometimes. Um, but they're probably one of those cycles that's on the verge of getting cut at some point when you know something better comes along or a cycle gets finished or something. Um, they're also in this weird place where, like, for a lot of years after the first printing, they had crept up relatively high in price. Most of them were like in the twenty-ish dollar range. Um, so I wanted them for a deck, but like didn't want to spend the money on them. And then when they finally got a reprint, um, at that point, there were enough other cycles that they suddenly became less desirable because we had picked up so many more good dual land cycles in the in, in the time since they were first printed. Um, so they, they kind of missed this weird mark for me um, a little bit. And I also just think they're only, they're only decent. They're not amazing. So these actually, this is a cycle that yes it enters untapped but i don't play these in any decks i don't think i've, I've played them in a couple and they've just never felt great um I, I don't know i just can't quite put my finger on it but i'm not a big fan of these especially for the price like you said dana like these were price prohibitive for a long time and i think people kind of forgot about them so even when they did get reprinted people just didn't really care because i i just they're they're fine i guess um if you have a lot of very specific mana requirements they're fine but i just i i, I don't play them in any of my decks I did, I remember back, you know, when I was first getting into the format and I saw these and I was just like, oh, I would love to try these out for sure in my three color decks. And now I won't touch them in any of my three color decks. In a two color yeah. deck, I feel way comfortable about it and like, ooh, this can be really, really useful for sure. But in a three color deck, I'm just like, nah, no, I, I really don't. And it's just cool to see how that has evolved because there are so many other dual land options that have kind of supplanted that need for this type of color fixing, which is a lot stricter than it originally looks. So I totally get where both of you guys are coming from on it um then we'll move on to the Amonkhet cycling lands also have dual types and they can be cycled out of your hand to draw a card do we like these the irrigated farmlands and the sheltered thickets of the world or are we kind of lukewarm on these what do you feel about the cycling lands for me at least they're one of those cycles that came out and i ran them for about a year and then when something better came, something new came out um, or they finished a cycle of the next group we'll talk about, kind of like it was with the Scrylands, these became the obvious removal target for me. Mm. See, I, I'm a big fan of them. Just being able to cycle them away to, to dig deeper and say they're your, your 10th land plus, just cycle them away and, and get a redraw. I think that's a fairly powerful effect. You see a lot of people in 60 card formats valuing that versatility quite a bit. And the fact that they're fetchable, like... I, I know that they I've had you know a situation where I, I crack a fetch land in my angry Omnath deck at the end of a turn. Well, I don't need uh, uh, something that's going to come into play untapped, so I just grab these because I'm not going to do anything with the mana anyways. Then I can draw the land that'll be untapped the next turn. Um, there's some synergy you can play around with these. I really like them. Uh, I just I know they're not terribly popular. Um, I like these more than the filter lands from Lorwyn though. Yeah, I probably agree with that as well. I like them better than the filters, but I, which isn't a huge bar to clear necessarily but, yeah. either. <laughs>
Interesting. I feel like I might be the opposite of you guys there. I really value the tempo and the cycling is something that I'm not sure I've required as often, but I can totally see where you're coming from that on, on that too. And you know what? Price can also totally play a huge factor in those because one of these is a lot more available than the other. Um, actually, okay. Now, speaking of lands that are a little bit tougher to get a hold of, Matt, you want to tell us a little bit about some... Um, some of those horizon lands. So the horizon lands or the, the canopy lands as they originally were for horizon canopy. Um, these are the lands that enter the battlefield untapped, which is nice. And you can tap them for a green or a white, for example, like horizon canopy, and they'll deal you one damage, or you can pay one mana and tap them and sacrifice them. And you draw a card effectively kind of cycling, kind of like what we talked about a minute ago. Um, these never really have been super available. They've never really been cheap. They there There were a lot of these copies that just kind of got snapped up by 60 card players. They came out originally in Modern Horizons, um, which was a modern and, and 60 card format targeted set really. Uh, so these never really had a chance to get into the hands of commander players, I don't think. But they're so good. <laughs> they're so good. They are very good. Oh, I love But their their price also really reflects how good they are. It's it's true. It's true. I just I don't mind the life that I'll lose to using them. That accessibility in case I get stuck top decking and the no tempo loss. Love them. A plus. I I want more. I like them a lot, but I, I think I like them a little more in theory than in practice. Mm-hmm. However, I will note here, I think that might be me too. I think I'm not aggressive enough with sacrificing them to draw the card. I think I get greedy and decide to just keep it in play for another turn longer, and, and that winds up being two turns and three turns. So I, I think in part, I maybe don't use them correctly, quote unquote. The amount of games rule violations these cause by failing to maintain the game state uh, because you forget that these cost you life in a later game. They're just sure. a pile of dual lands. I mean, that's nitpicking and that's just... Well, I, I'm just like, wait, Dana, what you just described there, do you not like the Horizon lands because you just want them to keep dealing damage to you so you can <laughs> right, yeah. well, that's what draw the card? Just a masochist <laughs> with my lands. Just want to make sure I'm following. All right, final ones that we're going to round out with here. The Odyssey filter lands, or as some will call them, the signet lands, because they don't actually tap for mana on their own, but you can pay any type of mana into them and then they will produce two mana of the corresponding dual type. So Darkwater Catacombs, for example, you can pay a mana into it and tap it and then you will get a blue and a black mana so these signet lands these different type of filterings matt how are you feeling about these do you like thumbs up thumbs down these are a little bit obscure what are you thinking i mean they are a little obscure but i do know they they've shown up in a decent amount of pre-cons as well uh, i don't play these in any of my decks i just i don't think they cut it not being able to tap for mana mm. on their own is kind of a, a detriment in in my mind um, I'm just, I'm not a big fan of them. I don't think I play any of them. I think you can play any number of different cycles that we've already talked about over this. All right. I am a big fan of these. Um, so I'm <laughs> the opposite of, of Matt here. I, I wish they would finish this cycle. Um, I run them in every deck that can run them. Um, I, I have them in my three color deck, the one I have as well. Um, unlike the, the, um, Shadowmore filters where, you can find yourself in weird positions where you don't have the right color mana to kind of activate them. If you've got a mana, it doesn't matter what, you can use these. So basically, unless it's your only land you've kept on turn one, it's a land you can activate and get both of the colors you need. Um, I, I think these are a really, really solid land that I, I wish, like I said, they would finish this cycle so I could play more of them. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they are a good budget land option. Um, I just, I don't play really any of them, and but I see why sure. you would want to, yeah. I, I thought that Dana was going to say, I wish that they did damage to me, but I, <laughs> right. was, I was wrong. <laughs> no. uh, what, what's especially useful about these is that if you have a high density of uh, utility lands, like a lot of non-basics that only tap for colorless, this is a great way to color fix from those. Mm -hmm. And I think mm -hmm. that's my favorite applicability for them. I could maybe be persuaded to run these in a three-color deck, but I do largely in my head kind of reserve them just to two colors. But uh, like the Shadowmore filter lands, I don't think I could ever be persuaded to run those in a three-color deck, whereas I could with these uh, Odyssey versions. Um, so that's definitely something else to keep in mind. And, that, and, and you've noted, Joey, like I do run a ton of utility lands. And you said, like you said, these work really good in decks that do have them. So that's probably part of the reason I'm partial to them as well. Mm -hmm. All right. So, guys, we just went through um, a bunch of lands. And here's the thing. We didn't even address all of the most interesting ones even. Because, like, there's a bunch of new lands that have come out recently from Zendikar and Kaldheim that just don't even have enough data for us to really talk about yet. The pathway lands that are, you know, double-sided modal, double-faced cards where you get the choice of which side to play and there are now snow duels at common coming out in Kaldheim always intertapped but they've got basic land typing and you know what there's a bunch of other ones that we don't even have time for there are shadows hand lands where you have to reveal certain types from your hand like choked estuary there's the refuges there are future site dual lands that do all sorts of crazy stuff there's the cycle of tainted lands there are even tribal lands like ancient amphitheater where there are like basic uh, tribal types that can help you with untapped or tapped. There are the slow fetches that we didn't even address. There are so many different types of dual lands nowadays. And that's the thing. You just, we, there's so many, we can't play all of them. This is somehow a place where like all of these are like good, but they're not all playable, even though they're all playable. It's such a weird position to be in for a commander. Yeah, this list here is where you get to the point where it tends to be very deck or playstyle specific. Um, you know, Shocklands really don't care what you're doing. They're fantastic no matter what. And uh, really a lot of the cards on the list we talked about early where we got into an in-depth discussion, there's some flex in how you play or how your deck is built, but th they're for the most part pretty good. This grouping here is really dependent on what you're doing and how you're doing it. Yeah, I, I, I'm never going to fault anybody for playing some of these, especially as, as like a budget option. But I just think that there are some some better options out there. Some of them I actually I like a little bit more than like the Signet lands we talked about. Um, but at the same time, like the, there are so many land cycles out there, like you just you literally don't have space to, to play all of them in any given deck. Yeah. Um, we're just naming the ones that are the most popular by the amount of decks that they're in. Um, but there are so many out there and just like, we didn't even like there's jumpstart lands, the, the thriving <laughs> land cycle right. that are totally fine. Like there's, there's a lot of just totally, I think they're playable. I know Joey doesn't, but like there's totally yeah. fine lands that we just, we don't have time to talk about because there are just so many out there. Yeah, and I think, you know, to use some specific examples here, I think if you are playing a, a two-color deck that's very heavy into black and therefore you're running a bunch of swamps and things like that, the Tainted Land cycle is just mm -hmm. as good as the Battlebond Land cycle for the most part. Um, I would run them yeah. in that kind of deck. If you are playing something with with red where you're running like a Valkut, for example, where you want to have as many mountains as possible, then those snow, the, the snow duels, the new ones we just got that mm. have the land type on them become that much better in that kind of deck. So I think th those are, like I said, these are just really specific to what you're doing. And a lot of them are playable in that, that, that kind of specific thing 
that you're doing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of them are playable, but they're just not all playable, right. which is the, the really ironic yeah, thing. Yeah, like, as far as you only have so many land slots in a deck. Right, exactly. R right, if you were to play all of the lands that we list off in this episode, you would not have room for basics or for mm -hmm. utility lands at all. In fact, I actually went through to get some just anecdotal evidence, but I wanted to kind of track, like in our decks, how many of these dual lands we are actually playing on average. Because like we listed off like, what, 12 or 15 earlier, and then we also mentioned a bunch of other ones that we don't even have time for. But like, even among the 12 or 15 that we mentioned, even we're not playing all of those in our lands at all, uh, in our decks at all. Like I checked my Marin deck, for example, and it turns out that in that deck, I'm using eight total of the dual lands that we talked about. I checked out my Thalese deck as well. The same story happened there. I'm running eight total different dual lands. And I didn't want to make it just about me. I also went through your guys' decks. I was a bit of a snoop. Sorry <laughs> about it. Um, I checked Dana's Vela the Nightcloud deck. Again, I saw eight dual lands in there. And his Galissa deck, I saw nine dual lands. And then Matt, when I started snooping on you, I uh, went through your Miri deck, for example. You were a little bit weirder. You were running even fewer. You've only got five dual lands in your Miri deck. And your Riel the Everwise deck, only six. So like, that's just it. The dual lands that we listed, there are a bunch of good ones, but you, you don't have room for all of them because you still got to make room for your basics and your utility lands. Like of all those good dual lands, you're not on average really going to be running all that many of them, even though they're also great. Yeah, I, I and I, I've been gone on the record a few times, just a couple, uh, saying that like I tend to prioritize just trying to get as many basics and in, into my decks. Um, but then hearing you actually say I only have five duels in my Miri deck, like I kind of think about it for a second. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right, actually. Uh, you, especially in two color decks, and and well, that's one thing that I kind of noticed was. Those are a bunch of two-color decks that we all have, but they're playing single-digit in most circumstances uh, amount of dual lands. And I'm sure if we go to three-color decks, that's kind of get a little topsy-turvy. Yeah. Uh, here, let's um, count up through your Ukima and Kazer deck. That's a three-color deck there. Um, we are seeing 22 total dual lands in your Ukima is, and yeah. Kazer deck. So even then, that's still probably seven-ish of each different type. And not like 22 of just one color combination, but only about seven Obviously, of a certain yes. color combination. So, I mean, again, it's just anecdotal evidence, but like that's how whittling down on these dual lands, it kind of ends up being in practical usage rather than just abstractly thinking about the dual lands. When you actually get down to the deck building, there's just not room for a whole lot of them. Well, and I know in my Alila deck as well, that's that's a three color deck. Um, there's 17 dual lands and they're not counting like command tower or stuff like that, but I still run 12 basics and like I, I cut on a few dual lands because I'm focusing on utility lands and like that eats into it um, because mm -hmm. I'm still going to value my basics and I'd rather cut dual lands and, and some of that in exchange for my utility lands like Hall of Heliod's Generosity in that deck, for example. Now, Dana, to clarify real quick, a basic land is a thing that was printed in the original <laughs> set. Um, yes, it's got like types like forest and swamp and they just have, for, I just wanted to make sure that you were on the same page. You can there. customize whatever <laughs> art you want on them as long as they're snow type. My my one three color deck has six basics in it, two of, two of each basic type. Is um, it because they don't deal damage to you? Yeah, that's that's the main reason. <laughs> All right, um, so. which is a which is a tremendously greedy mana base. I will absolutely die the first second someone glances in the direction of a of a blood moon. Very, very much. All right, fellas, we've put it off long enough with all of that land data, but you know, it's not a classic Edadric episode unless we get to our favorite segment, Challenging Some Stats. It's one of our favorites here on the podcast because there's so much data on Edadric, but we don't always agree with it. Sometimes we think the cards are seeing too much play or too little play, so let's take a break from the Dual Lands real quick and talk about Challenging Some Stats. Dana, how about you start us off? 
Absolutely. So Mana Geyser is a card that, that puts mana in your mana pool for each tapped land your opponent's control. It's fantastic in Commander, um, and it's one that I've played more than a few times to good effect on uh, EDH Recast stream at twitch.tv slash EDH Recast. Um, Jessica's Will that also adds mana to your mana pool like that in red is already in 3,000 decks despite only existing for like the last two months. Um, however, the card I want to challenge here is Battle Him. Uh, does a similar thing. It's in just under 6,000 decks, which is a good amount, but it's one in a red for an instant, and you add a red to your mana pool for each creature you control. I don't think it's as universally good at all as as um, Mana Geyser or as Jessica's Will, but if you are playing a token deck, it can be an absolute blowout. Um, being able to spend two mana to generate even like six or seven can make for a really powerful turn. And in the right token deck, it could generate 10 or 12 or 15 or even more than that. It's, it's only in like half of the Sabira Tolzida Caravaneer decks. It's only in about half of the Krenko Mob Boss decks for, for mono red decks that tend to make a ton of tokens. Um, I feel like it should be in more than half of these huge token generators. It's, it's the kind of card that can be an absolute blowout. And I think probably the reason it isn't in more is because it doesn't look cool. Like all it does is generate you mana for one big, huge turn. And I think it's an easy thing to cut in favor of something flashier, but I think it should see more play. Sweet stuff. All right. I'm going to move on to my pick now. And this is a really strange one, but I found it for my Mimeoplasm deck recently, and I couldn't be happier with it. This is the card Waker of Waves, a 7-mana seven 7-7 seven, seven whale that says your uh, creatures your opponents control get minus 1, minus 1. And that doesn't sound all that good, but here's the cool part. It has an ability of paying 2 mana and discarding Waker of Waves from your hand to let you look at the top two cards of your library. You put one of them into your hand and the other one goes to your graveyard. So this, most of the time, is just sort of a cantrip effect that lets me load a good creature into my graveyard for my Mimeoplasm to nom 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 on a little bit later, and it will put another card into my graveyard too. And frankly, even just reviving this later on to, you know, make sure that my opponent's token army is a little bit worse against me has been really effective. This is an uncounterable uh, cantrip spell that helps me load good stuff into the graveyard, and I couldn't be happier to have found it for my Mimeoplasm deck to get great tokens on him and to revive big whales from the graveyard. Like, it's a very missable card, only showing up in 125 decks right now, but this is a really interesting one that if you are in a blue reanimator strategy, you might want to give a look to because of how easy it is to get into your graveyard. So that's my challenge. And Matt, take us home. What's yours? So my challenge this week is our listener submitted challenge. Um, Jimmy the Bass in our uh, in our patron discord, which you can join patreon.com slash EDH Retcast. Uh, Jimmy had a really good suggestion this week that I, I kind of thought about for a second. Then the more that I talked about it, then when Joey gave me the stamp of approval, uh, I knew it was a pretty good challenge. So Jimmy's pointing out that Mimic Vat is currently only played in 6% of Sir Conrad decks. Now, Mimic Vat... Mm. Uh, it does a lot of a lot of stuff. Basically, you can imprint creatures that go to the graveyard. You exile them, um, and then you can just exile something else. And it's there's a lot of words on it, folks. There's a <laughs> lot of words. But Sir Conrad yeah. is a mono black commander that cares all about creatures entering and leaving the the graveyard, specifically your own graveyard. So 
Jimmy points out that it's a way to get compounding triggers for Conrad in the event of multiple creatures dying at a time due to the imprint being a triggered ability, not a replacement effect. So when your creatures die, you can have all of those triggers go on the stack. You can imprint one, then you can imprint another, and then you can imprint another. All the while, you're getting enter the graveyard and leaving the graveyard triggers while it's all happening. Um, you're probably doing a healthy healthy, well, not so healthy for your opponents, but a good amount of damage in the process of all of those triggers going on and resolving because so many creatures are entering and leaving the battlefield thanks to them getting exiled with the imprint ability on Mimic Vat. Um, Joey, I know, is gig like just giddy right now. So I think this is probably a pretty good challenge, I might say. So good catch, Jimmy the Bass. Or base, whichever one you are. <laughs> Only in 6% of Conrad decks. That is a little bit low indeed. I have recommended this in an upping the average video for Sir Conrad. I run it in my own Sir Conrad list. It is really messed up how many secret triggers this can get you. And also, if you just happen to put a good creature underneath imprinted onto the Mimic Vat to just pump out token copies of it every turn, that's also good, which is the original function of the card. But yeah, that's also sometimes pretty acceptable in addition to the extra damage that this card can let you do. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like it's going to get out of hand pretty quickly. And the fact that Joey's already playing it means probably more people should be playing it. I, I hear Joey knows a thing or two, not three, though, um, about graveyard decks. <laughs> uh, you know, as a necromancer myself, I have picked up a few tricks. <laughs> and is. Jimmy the Bass, I definitely approve of this one. All right, guys, let's get sort of wrapping up our um, sort of final thoughts, maybe about dual lands. What are some potential lessons that you should take home about which dual lands you should choose? You know, there's not a whole lot that you actually will always have room for. So how do you find the dual lands that most suit you in your decks, would you say? Dana, do you have any tips that you would want to share? Um, the one tip I would share, I guess, would be to periodically reevaluate the, the dual lands that are already in your decks based on what has happened. Um, you know, we both discussed, Joey, how our thoughts on the check lands have kind of changed over the years as mm -hmm. we've gotten other dual lands that granted that basic land type. That's the kind of thing that's going to probably keep happening. And maybe down the road, that's going to make the tainted land cycle more appealing when suddenly you realize, well, in addition to my six basics, I'm also running like six or seven different dual lands that have the basic land typing. Suddenly those tainted lands in black become that much better because you're running other dual lands that have the typing. So that's the kind of thing to kind of reevaluate periodically because the lands you add sometimes change the other lands. Talking about the, the Lorwyn filters, um, you know, the more lands you have in your deck that tap for colorless, the more utility lands you slowly start adding, those Lorwyn filters become become less useful because you need a colored mana to, to actually turn them on. So that's the kind of thing they can get away from you if you're not careful as you've made changes. The utility of some of these lands in your decks changes as well. And Matt? I mean, my big thing is just play to to your budget. And then there's, mm -hmm. like I said, there's there are so many rare dual land cycle options out there and even not even rare ones like uncommons and commons even that are going to get the job done um you don't need a fetch shock original you know alpha beta dual land mana base to have a functioning and an effective mana base like there are so many options out there the pathways are great and if you're playing the pathways with the bounce lands that's a way to reset your pathways to getting all sorts of different colors out there. There's just, it requires a little bit of creativity, sure, but man, there there are so many options out there and, and relatively affordable. Um, budget is purely subjective, I know, but 
you can almost always find something, some way to upgrade your mana base with some of these dual lands. And, and like I said, some of those cycles that we kind of talked about but didn't because because we don't have time there's a lot of options out there and i think just putting a little bit of research into it you can find very effective additions to your mana base that aren't going to be super detrimental to your wallet as well yeah dana i kind of want to go back to a point that you made um to as well uh to watch out for the synergies that exist for your other dual lands but also like my my point i guess is like to evolve on that watch for the synergies with your commander mm -hmm. it's not sure. just for landfall decks where the fetch lands can get you multiple land drops but like i will use pain lands in my graven deck because i want to lose more life that way i love using the bounce lands in my necromancy decks because they can overflow my hand so i am forced to, to discard cards and i like having cards in my graveyard that seems really really great if you've got life duels i'm not as high on them here but if you're in a life gain deck like a Karlov of the ghost council that's another thing that you can totally use to get additional life gain triggers for a life gain dedicated deck to pump up your commander that way so those little synergies are just so important to look out for and that's really the point is that there's no like one broad brush that i guess we can give about which are the best dual lands and which are not because different commanders will have different requirements of your mana base i mean heck thinking of my um my feather deck like the the mana demands in that deck are way stricter than in any other deck that I have because it's so many one mana, usually white cantrip spells or battle, uh, sort of like little battle effects in there. So I need a lot of lands that can produce white mana for me. And that means that I have a, a bigger premium on my dual lands in that deck than I do in a deck where I'm running a bunch of other utility lands as well. Like there are different demands on your mana base for color fixing and stuff. And that can really guide the choices that you're making in your mana base for sure. Yeah, I, I like the points that you, you said, Joey, about look at your deck and like what kind of color pips you need in that deck and mm -hmm. kind of craft around that because there are some decks like my Miri deck, I don't have a lot of double color requirements in that deck. So I can play a lot of basics, but I mean, if you're Dane and you're playing triple red, triple blue, whatever, I mean, you might need to emphasize the dual lands more. I think that's why he does it. I think that's why Dana does it. What I do in some cases, like you joke, but like my Sphinx deck is super hungry for blue mana because almost mm -hmm. every Sphinx is double blue. Some of them are triple blue. So I have more than the average amount of dual lands in that deck because I just have so much blue mana as a requirement. Kind of the inverse of that would be my, my Kedis and Krom deck. Um, most of the spells I cast tend to be red when I cast them on like a kill turn and I tend to want to cast like three or four spells, all of which tend to use red mana. So I need to have a, a density of red mana pips in that particular deck. So I, I run more than average there as well. On the other hand, you know, I, just having added the card Forsaken Monument to my Vela deck, that was a card that came out in, in the most recent Zendikar set. And one of the clauses on that card is whenever you tap a permanent for colorless mana, add an additional colorless. So suddenly in that deck, things like the, the filter lands that do tap for a colorless got much more valuable. The um, tainted land cycle there, I had taken the tainted land out of that deck just not that it was bad, but there was something slightly better. Well, suddenly that card worked its way back in because if I have the Freaking Monument out, that Tainted taps for two mana. So those kind of changes, right? It's not just about other lands in your deck. It's all the cards in your deck make a big difference. Indeed. So now my final mission here, I think, is to find lands, not just the ones that Dana uses his own lands that deal a bunch of damage to him. But now my mission is to find dual lands 
my own dual lands that also deal damage to Dana. Dana, there I can't go. wait to find uh, <laughs> that is a cycle I really look forward to. I'm sure it's coming around the corner. This was a whole bunch of fun, you guys. But with all of this, what I think we need to do is call the episode to a close. So thank you so much for joining me. And if our listeners want to get in touch with us, where is it that they can find us all? Matt? So you can find me on the Twitters at Mathemus55. That's M-A-T-H-I-M-U-S-5-5. And don't forget, Wednesday evenings, we are streaming games. We play Paper Magic via the spell table over at twitch.tv slash EDHRecast. Our guests are always great. The games are usually great, um, but sometimes they're even better than great. So make sure you tune in Wednesday evenings and check out all the games we're playing over there as well. And Dana. You can find me on the Twitter birds at Dana Roach. You can hear me once a week on my other podcast, CMDR Central, and you can find all three of us on patreon.com slash EDHRecast. And I'm Joey Schultz. You can find me at Joseph M. Schultz on Twitter, and you can find the cast at EDHRecast on Facebook and on Twitter as well. Plus, if you have a question, you can contact us at EDHRecast at gmail.com. Our thanks go out once again to the entire team at the Command Zone for handling the post-production work on our podcast here, and our thanks go out to our sponsors for the show, TCG Player and CardKingdom.com. You can find them using the price info links on EDHREC, or you can visit CardKingdom.com slash EDHREC, and that shows your support for the show. Listeners, we'll be back at you next Next week with more data and insights. But until then, remember EDH wreck your deck before you wreck your deck. <laughs>